Hey everyone. So on this journey off the main road, you know, it's like in Nigeria, like the World Bank gave them all this money to make these roads. So you go and you're on this incredibly fantastic road and then suddenly it just stops, you know, and just nature takes over, like they run out of money or something or whatever. It's just a jungle. And that's a bit like this journey. It's when you stop and sort of get out of the washing machine <laughs> or the spin dry cycle that you've been sort of bouncing around in um, unconsciously and or the guy in the middle of the ocean that just he, that he just can't he just stops the boat he's on he's on a race and he just stops the boat and he's giving the coordinates of where he's going but he's not going anywhere he's just decided to stop and that's really what this is like it's like you come when you in this process of looking at who you really are you sort of come to a grinding halt it's like you're in this race you're in this Ferrari that's just racing along the track and it's insane and crazed and doing shit all day every day and suffering and and then you just come to this screeching halt it's a bit what it's like when you go inward um, sorry. <coughs> and it's very much like actually what happened in my dream, in my Kundalini, very powerful. <coughs> oh, sorry. Changing, you know, my whole life came to a halt. I was in a taxi cab running around and the taxi cab just stopped and I got out. And I left my, um, my wallet and my money, my, my, my phone and my wallet in the car and I just got out. I didn't know why I got out. But like the universe just said, right, it's all over. <laughs> you know, like, we have to stop now. We can't. You're just going around in circles. And you have to go back and face what you haven't been able to face. And you have to have the courage to do it. So, you know, in this kind of path off the beaten track, there's a many things that you kind of wake up to. One of them is that you're just organic. There's no difference between you and the soil and the petal and the grizzly bear and the sky. And it's all one thing in a different variation. And that's a huge blow to egos because egos are, you know, robustly um, intent on being these kind of unconquerable machines of power and really they're just armor they're very clever sophisticated bits of armor that just bang around but they're basically covering a lot of terror and fear and you know if everything is here, everything is here for a reason. Nothing is a mistake, right? So, you know, I suppose that's... So one of the things, the great sort of teachings or waking up for me is that, listen, it just as organic as a 
as a worm, as a sky, it's just, you know. And, and in, in that surrender, there's, there's almost, there's this really lovely, like, well, okay, you have to kind of go with the flow. I mean, this is one big pulsating giant bit of energy that's doing all sorts of different things. You know, to think that you have any say in this is a joke. <laughs> you have no say. I mean, I laugh because I'm just so delusional about how much I could control. It's like, so that's a huge thing. It's like you're just another bit of organic material with a name slapped on it. And, and, and that doesn't reduce you. <coughs> it's not a reduction of you. In fact, it's, I quite think it's a sort of triumphant call back home. It's, you know, I actually belong to this incredible mechanism which I don't understand and I have no idea how it works. That really is an amazing, that you can slough off all these stories about who we are and these narratives are a joke, really, and that really limit our beliefs and kind of encase us in this vault, in this cemetery and, and wither us and age us. And if we are released from the beliefs and released from our borders, so to speak, we're able to really <coughs> grow and allow for transformation to happen because the universe is in a constant state of life and death, of transformation and rebirth. And I mean, all day, every day, right? So, and it is a bit like, you know, I think of a a pickup truck, right? And it's going along. So I can imagine this. There's a place I go to surf in Costa Rica, which is just beautiful, called Playa Hermosa. And to get there, you have to take this really kind of badly, really old road. It's got potholes. And, and imagine being in the universe is like you're in the back of that truck, you're in water. Like in a fish in water, a goldfish in, in a goldfish bowl on the back of that truck. And it's always like the truck is always just grunting along and jumping. And this is what the universe is like. It's, there's no stopping. It's always in motion. There's no, I can just put my laurels, you know, I can just rest my laurels. I can just, no, it's always, you know, demanding that you face the next challenge. If there's no hallelujah moment, it's just a, a, a continual flourishing and a continual opening. And it's always asking you to open and to blossom and to sort of resurrect daily. And you can't, it, it's difficult to do if you're encased in trauma because trauma is a burial of you. It's this deeply, it's like you're just smothered in shit. And there's no movement in that shit. You know, you're just, I imagine like a thousand bees just making up all these stories and all these attachments. And, and I picked up this really lovely painting when I was in Peru and it, I love it. And it, Instinctively, I, I was drawn to it because it was this beautiful kind of light coming out and it was light in the form of a woman out of all this darkness. 
and it could be a male, whatever. I'm just, in this instance, it happens to be a woman. And it's, it's your divinity, you know, coming up out of this encasement of shit, you know. It's like the crack in all the earth. <clears throat> you know, it's like this dry earth that's been just, it's cracking because it's so old, right? And, no idea what that is. And, you know, suddenly there's a break in it. There's a break in the cracking. It's like you're buried in the dark. And you just kind of build this facade, which is called ego, you know, to sort of survive. And in the journey, you are you're pulled out of the earth. That's what this the ayahuasca does. It pulls you from deep in the earth where you've been encased in mud and shit and worms and maggots and whatever it is that the trauma has done to you. So whilst the, the actual event is beyond horrific and I certainly had mine was, I was very buried um, by story and by refusal and by acceptance and legitimizing, you know, legitimizing what happened. The actual journey into that darkness to see everything has been really a reconnection with life, right? There are, there are many gifts that come from cutting down this whole forest of, of hell. And there is a, I've always said I just, it's about going home, it's about walking home. And there's this reconnection with all of life, I suppose that's it. I've talked about this before, that you know, the worst thing about life in these tribes, in this primitive tribe, was to be exiled, right? If you did something terrible, it wasn't about cutting your hands off, it was about being exiled, because exiled, you're alone. And for me, it feels like my whole life I've been exiled. Um, I was hidden, right? That's trauma does that. I had to legitimize the illegitimate. I had to really, it's a real, and you're in trauma, you're in refusal of your whole life force. It's like being held underground. It's like being held underwater. And what's at stake is your whole life. And it is a form of kidnapping and stealing because you're separated from the earth. You're separated from all that is. And you're kind of drowned in these stories and men with funny outfits proclaiming stupid things. And you're a, a prisoner of another ego. You're a prisoner of somebody else's limited version of the universe. And in this journey back, there's a direct relationship that you've built with the actual Earth. I mean, that's just something very weird to say, but there is this direct relationship with this great universe. And I have no idea what it is. I, you know, as I say, I sit in many ceremonies and I have this incredible connection to something that I, you know, I feel connected to, but I've never really known or really understand. I just know that there's this primordial instinctive connection.
So one is that, yes, we're just another piece of this organic, magnificent thing. Number two is that, you know, we really, you know, have very little control. Um, I mean, some people say, again, we have to be careful of each of our limited beliefs, including my own, um, that, you know, we chose this particular, these particular parents. You know, there's no monopoly on belief or monopoly on being. This is always expanding and blossoming. I haven't had that experience. And for me, I really have to have the experience. I can't just believe willy-nilly, like, you know, look at the Bible, read it, believe it. No. It doesn't mean anything to me unless it's... I mean, I read thousands of books growing up. They meant nothing to me because I was... I didn't have the experience. Even if I saw the experience or read the experience via someone else, I, I couldn't relate to it because I... I couldn't. It's like reading, you know, Madame Bovary when you're 10. It doesn't have any... Or Shakespeare, it doesn't mean anything, right? For me, the experience ha is really has become the only relevant thing in my life. You know, have I known it in my gut? Have I understood it? Have I felt it? Have I lived it? It doesn't mean that everybody else's experience is irrelevant. Quite the opposite. It just means I can't relate to it, right? In the same way, people can say to me, "Well, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about." Like different dimensions and da 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 you know and rightly so it's like I can't relate to that Maria um, but that's my experience I can't and even when I you know was beginning of this journey and I was listening to these you know these people who were in robes and saying you know what is and what isn't I don't know I have no idea um, unless it was an open-ended kind of talk and I, I remember I can't remember his name oh god I can't remember his name um, but you know he was sort of on the path and, and when he spoke it was this very open ended discussion there were no limitations to what he spoke about you know because there aren't this is an open ended infinite universe there's no border there's no it's always in a state of um, growth. I mean, humans beings in the in the span of evolution, if if even that's right, I don't know, but have been here for two seconds. Plants have been here for about two weeks. Died. I don't know. It's so in the scope of a two-week, let's say, fourteen billion-year thing, we've hardly been here. Um, and imagine a primitive looking up at the sky and seeing a plane. They'd be like, "Oh my God, it's an alien." We don't know anything. I have no. I mean. I mean, yes, we know something, but it's just, it's very little. So, one of the things I've been taught is, you know, blow up your beliefs. And that's why I think the Zen is so interesting, but it's because it's like beginner's mind, you know, always begin with beginner's mind every day. It's like, yes, you have to go and get coffee and go to work, but what's happening is, is happening at this moment. It's not a repetition of what happened yesterday, right? Unless there's trauma. We can't see beyond this moment if we're encased in trauma, and it is a sort of casing. It's a bear, it's a tomb, it's a vault. We see through blinkered glasses at the world. Everyone, it's, it's basically, I've always said this, act one, scene one, on repeat. It doesn't matter who shows up. 
to your little you know event it's always the same people in different outfits it's the same energetic composition so you know how do we break out of it right and I suppose that's really what this whole thing has been about it's like how do I get released from this prison how do I crawl out of this burial ground right how do I overcome and in the end does it really matter we're going to die anyway whatever has come to you is it's it's for you it's it's the gift to you you know Jennifer Lopez has been given the gift of singing and doing her thing everybody has a different um, path and it's singular it's not mine it's not hers it's not everybody's path is unique and individual but I think we're called the universe because it's always acting upon us is calling us to respond respond and you know one of the other great learnings is it's a power wash you know the journey is a sort of power wash and people say oh attachments you shan't have attachments yeah, and that's all well and good yes I'm not really attached but these I think you need to respect yourself and you need to respect and love and understand that if you're traumatized the attachments to the trauma are huge because they're your parents for fuck's sake right you don't just dump your parents like from today yesterday right it's not that simple I was sent out to be sexually abused. I still legitimized him. Yeah, I still had deep connections. I had, you know, various forms of exorcism through ayahuasca. It was still holding on. They're very, it, these things are very deeply rooted in your system. And I think if you see yourself as an organic being, then, and that's what to me I've seen over and over, then Imagine the earth. Imagine something that is damaged and wounded. I think of an animal. I mean, it's just smothered in maggots and all sorts of bacteria. And, and that's what it's like carrying around trauma. It's like you're carrying around a dead part of you. It's like carrying around a piece of you that is... Um, being fed on by bacteria. It's dead, it's wounded, it's, it's not dead, but it's wounded. And if it's wounded and unclaimed and unloved, then all sorts of energetic bacteria are feeding off it. There's no, it makes total sense, right? Um, if I have no access to 80% of who I am, if I'm offline 80%, if I'm not conscious 80%, that's a huge chunk of me that's um, a damaged um, organic piece of me that's being, you know, smothered by all sorts of creepy crawlies and maggots and, that, and all sorts of kind of bacteria that are energetic bacteria that feed off the damaged piece of you. Um, and 
it's a power wash because you're attached to it, all right? You're not separate. You may have come, you may have cut yourself off from it. You may have, like I certainly did. I just that doesn't didn't I didn't like it. Didn't happen. But it doesn't die. I mean, it's no longer functioning in your consciousness. But it's not dead. It's wounded and damaged and festering. That's what the word I was looking for. Festering. Like a wound. And it's slowly but surely encroaching onto your life. Well, it is encroaching on your life because you've built a whole armor to pretend that it doesn't have it didn't happen. To keep connected to these people, to keep attachments to these people. Imagine how difficult it is think about your own life, right? That you have to, you've been hurt by someone in your family, your mother, your father, and you have to pretend or you have to accept that they're your parent, even though they're hurting you. That, that conflict is huge. And you have to, in my instance, I pretended them that they were really lovely, that they were really a good parents. But they weren't narcissistic, selfish, self-absorbed, abusive people. I had to pretend that they were great all the time living this murderous rage. That's a huge conflict. You have to temper that conflict. You have to balance that out. And at some point, something's going to give. It, it can't, you can't live in that big of a conflict. At some point, you know, it'll either smother you and you'll get some horrific disease or you'll just freak out. Something will happen. You can't carry those two conflicts with you. It has to be power washed and cleansed. And the great fear of the child is, well, if I acknowledge it, if I acknowledge the fact that this guy's a piece of shit or this woman or whatever, if I acknowledge, then I won't have a parent. But you never had a parent in the first place. And that is a great learning. There was never a parent in the first place because a parent loves, nurtures, a parent blossoms. And yes, you know, people had a lot of difficulty. But you know what? And people make mistakes and whatever. Yes, I, we can acknowledge all of that. But I have this great example and I think the universe is always sharing us truths even though we want to deny them and in my instance I had this aunt who was extraordinarily poor had five children and yet she managed to find time and highlight my existence when I came to her house you know, I was, in that moment, in her eyes, I was the only one there. And that ability for a parent to single out and really see the other child, see all your children, is not something that has to do with money or, or with time. It's about attention. It's about unconditional love. So... <clears throat> We can either choose to give unconditional love or not. It's a choice. 
And yes, we can be horrifically blinkered. Believe you me, I have been horrifically blinkered by my own trauma. And the people before me were also blinkered by their own trauma. And that had all sorts of consequences. You know, a father that needed to felt had such bad self-esteem that he had to, you know, create a family as an audience to bolster his low self-esteem and then sell out his child in order to make himself feel successful, right? I mean, that's insane. Or a mother that was used her children to make her feel good too, right? So, but there was an, there is an option. In, a, in all the crazy, there's an option to love. There's an option to, to give. There's an option to see your children and love them. Even in the worst, most dire, I think about that great psychologist, I can't remember his name, singer, Argentinian guy. He wasn't a psychologist, actually. he was a, a famous singer in, in Argentina. And, you know, the mother had four children and no money, and, you know, you can imagine, right? And they had to walk, you know, through horrific conditions, you know, on their way, they were evicted, their ch children died, etc. But even in all that darkness, she managed to see them, to give them light, to give them hope and love. You know, it's not, you don't get it on the internet. You don't get it delivered by Amazon. It's not on Prime. <laughs> it's a thing that you do to your children. You love them unconditionally. And yes, you may be blinkered, but love is not, it's always there somewhere, in the, even in the tiniest, in the tiniest little drop of it. So, if you refuse to love, or if you make excuses for not loving, then it's going to affect your children. If you put other people over your children, if you, everyone suffers. Right? So, there, there are two narratives, you know? You, as a child in trauma, you, you have to build, and if, that's if you survive trauma. A lot of children end up, you know, addicts and, you know, whatever. Because it's just, they can't see, there's not even a trickle of light in that darkness. I feel privileged to have had a trickle of light. I feel privileged to have experienced early on very platonic love, but the pure a pure, dazzling, infinite love for a little boy. I feel blessed to have had a child, to have felt love, you know, in that bleak darkness, which I didn't even know was dark, I just thought it was life. So even if there's a scratch of love, you know? I remember when we were, somebody gave us walkie-talkies, we were in the airport, I was so thrilled, and then someone took them. It's almost like somebody opened the curtain a little bit and then somebody, the light was gone, right? It was the greatest gift in that moment. Somebody had seen and thought about us and 
And as a child, if you're traumatized, when you're in the dark, you have to pretend that it's not dark because you have to legitimize the narcissism. You have to legitimize these dysfunctional energies. You have to make it work. So that conflict is massive. On the one hand, you're being abused or you're being refused or neglected or whatever. <clears throat> and on the other hand, these are, this is it. This is the universe. These are your parents. These are the ones that are supposed to look after you. These are the ones that are going to, in whose kingdom you're going to build, you know, yourself. The furnace where you're going to be baked into existence. It's very, very difficult. And then they're pummeling you with all sorts of beliefs and religious stuff and crap and whatever. It's all limited beliefs about survival, right? So it's, it's like encasement after encasement after encasement. It's like Russian doll after Russian doll after Russian doll. How do you get out of that? It's like a Houdini puzzle. How do I make my way from the bottom of this ocean up to the surface? And I literally saw myself at the bottom of the ocean looking up like I'd been drowned. The process of surfacing is that. It's seeing, actually seeing them for who they are. And it's very difficult. It is the most impossible. That's why children never leave you know, their parents, even though they put them in cages and treat them like animals and beat them up. And, because that's their first intimate connection with the universe. It's their first coding. They accept it. They accept all the abuse. Because they're baked in it. You're threaded into them. You're built as an extension of them. So these attachments, oh, just, you know, non-attachment. That's all BS. It's not flippant. It's not like, oh, if I meditate, I won't be attached. It's BS. The stuff is deeply rooted in you. It is deeply connected to them, deeply, deeply intertwined into their shit. And to unravel, to disengage, to cut off that source is very difficult. And it's not the source, that's what's so crazy. It's not the end game. <clears throat> the end game is before that. <clears throat> The Zen have this great saying, you know, which is the koan during meditation is, you know, what was my original face before my mother and father was born? It's a beautiful koan. Koans are done for you to, you know, when you're in meditation. And meditation is basically facing the wall. There's no sound, there's nothing. There's just you and your thoughts. And, you, I mean, you know, I had to practice one to ten, you know, to try to stop the kind of incoming rain of thoughts, I mean, constant, just non-stop bombardment of bees of thoughts. And, you know, counting on to ten, and then you say, well, you know, what was my original face? And before my mother and father was born, and it's really a riddle. It's a riddle to stop the linear way of thinking. And what I've come to realize is that your armor or your ego is built by thoughts as well as physicality. So your thoughts are built 
as a structural framework for your ego. And so your thoughts will always sort of be very similar. They'll come out of nowhere. It's almost like they re-erect the ego over and over again. They're always justifying everything, right? So, yeah, it's just every day you're going to have similar thoughts that um, build themselves into structures. And that's the great thing about meditation is that the thoughts stop having their power because it's almost like bees hitting a windshield, you know. Um, if thoughts are coming at you all day, they're dragging you all over the place. It's literally like, um, <clears throat> I think of it like a, a boat in the ocean with a motor engine that's just, and you're in the water and it's just dragging you wherever, you want, wherever it's taking you, right? Um, you have no control because the thoughts were built in early consciousness, in terror, in the trauma, and they're a protective mechanism. Um, and they're limited and they come all the time so as to build a structure that's going to survive. So one of the th great things about meditation, Zen meditation, I don't really know about any other one, is in the sitting and facing the wall and um, you know, doing the one to ten thing and, and, and having koans which kind of throw off your mind, the thoughts begin to lose their power. They're no longer wired. And actually it's an incredible viewing platform because as you sit in meditation, so before it's like you're in the swarm of bees, let's put it that way, if your thoughts are just bees buzzing, or as I said, like if you're cooked, you're you know, part of the ingredients in the pastry, right? when you're cooked early on. In meditation, you're no longer, little by little, you leave the swarm of bees. You leave the structure of your thinking. And then you begin to see the structure. So you're no longer in it. It's like you're no longer in the washing machine. You're outside looking at the spin, the cycle of the machine. You're, you're outside looking at the swarm. And you can finally begin to see the structure of how you're built. That was really my first introduction to seeing anything. And that was many years of meditation. That was like 10, 12 years, which is when I had this huge energetic awakening because I think in retrospect, and again, this is only in retrospect, that I had built such a powerful viewing platform because I sat every day and I could sit for an hour that, that those thoughts no longer had any power, that ego, which is built of thoughts, no longer, and also it's in your body, but at this point it was in my thoughts, and it lost so much power that I think there was an energetic break. Right? Before they were really very powerful, because when you're in the whole mess, when you're just as a child, you're just trying to survive, you build this whole, whole framework around these people. And then as you meditate, you begin to leave like the ship. Little by little, you start, it's almost like you're a viewing platform. And at some point for me, it just collapsed completely. That whole armor of 
thoughts about who I was collapsed. That was the beginning of the collapse. That was the first avalanche after 10, 12 years of sitting. And then I got a very clear kind of direction. It's like there was an opening in the dark and, and the whole energetic shift was huge. I thought I was dying, but it was really an opening into the next layer of energy. And I think the first one, because the whole thing about meditation is that what you're doing is you're slowing down. So you're slowing down the mechanism of ego, which is going very fast, which is it has to move fast. It has to be quick on its toes because it's, it's, it's under threat of death. It's like an airbag. It's going, it's going to build up very quickly. It's going to have beliefs. It's going to have religious beliefs. It's going to have it's had all sorts of beliefs around it to protect it. In meditation, what you see is you don't even know who you are, right? The beliefs is it's like a swarm of bees. You, you're in it. It's like you've been, you know, uh, Shanghai. Remember and remember the stories growing up in London. And you know, when when ships went out to sea, you know, to the New World, they Shanghai people for the ship. They'd literally just take people off the street and they put a bag over them, the next thing you know, you're on a ship. It's the same thing. When you're traumatized, it's like being shanghai You're taken, you're used for somebody else's thing, agenda, and suddenly you're on a ship going God knows where, and you don't know where you came from, you don't know what's going on, you don't, and you're stuck. And that's the same thing, actually, with trauma. Is this. There's no evolution of you, you're stolen. And so meditation is very powerful because the shanghaiing, you know, if you're taken on a ship, it's just somebody grabs you, puts a bag over your head and <clears throat> sticks you on a ship. In a regular kind of kidnapping, energetic kidnapping, you know, your regular everyday garden flower kidnapping by parents with trauma is you have to build, you know, you build this whole superstructure of thinking around them and it includes them and it's attached to them and it's a form of armor and meditation is powerful for the simple reason that when you start viewing you start sitting five minutes ten minutes twenty minutes in that silence you actually begin to leave the ship because you actually almost you build a separate viewing platform so you get to see little by little as you leave it, and that's what meditation is. Every day you, you leave the swarm and you have more and more perspective. It's like you begin to get uh, you know, further and further from, what, from the swarm. And a bit, it's a bit like the elephant story, right? Where at first you know, you're blinkered, you, you touch the tail, you don't know it's, if it's a tail, and then you know, you're blindfolded, you don't know. And little by little you begin, oh, it's a whole elephant, that's you, right? And it reminds me of also, oh God, I can't remember the story. I have all the images in my home of the Chinese, the Buddhist thing, where it's um, the gate. And it's, a thing, it's the same thing as that you don't know that you know, you're being chased by an ox and you realize there's an ox and then you, you know, disengage from the ox. It's just all the same idea. It's basically you build a structure as a child. You don't know you're in that structure. You don't know what it is. And then later on, in meditation, you begin to dissolve that structure and return kind of back to the universe. I suppose that's a way of saying it. And uh, 
there are layers. For me, it's been a blow up. Like one, it's like really, it's like looking for gold, right? You know, there's one, there was one massive shift with meditation and it took many years. It's an energetic shift that was being held together with the gravitational pull of thinking that was blown up in a way. And then that led me to another layer of energetic stuff that was ayahuasca. And then that led me to another cave or layer that was all about what truly happened as a child and the abuse, the sexual abuse and the neglect, all the stuff, right? So, and then it's like these are, there are layers of energy and I don't know what lies beneath there, if there are more layers, I have no idea. But there is this constant blossoming and opening. It's like a really like a blossoming flower that never opened. I suppose that's a really lovely way of saying it. It's like in trauma, we're like little buds that have never been opened. And we're, we have these kind of carcasses around us. We have these huge encasements, you know, of a person. But they're solid and they're not vibrant and there's really no they're sort of like cardboard cutouts, they're puppets. They don't have life in them. They have limited life, limited life source. But it's always being censored. It's always being adjusted. It's not living in its full vitality, right? So <clears throat> it really is, it feels like you're, you're extricated. Let's, let's, it's like you fell down a well. For me, it feels like I fell into this huge, sewage pit or something like I think about I mean it's a terrible thing to, to even think about but I think about um, I imagine those little children you know you're, they're feeding off these huge garbage dumps the little children it's awful and that's a little bit what it's like when you encounter when you open the door to your shadow it's like this huge toxic dump site of stuff and it, you need to sort of and it's all attachments and beliefs and stories and and you have to pick your way through all the garbage and these are deep again <clears throat> I, I really it drives me nuts some people are like oh don't you know don't be attached it's just like that's ridiculous it's the first code it's like the the most the deepest it's just it's, it's huge these attachments they're very difficult to just you know slough off they're held together with terror and fear and God knows exile and so there's a kind of a power wash <clears throat> the power washing through all the energetic stuff that's been feeding off your damaged self um, there's a confrontation with the truth of what happened which you've kept deeply hidden in my case it was sexual abuse um, there's an opening up to all the emotions you know I think the worst the most difficult thing is to, for the whole story to be literally sunk. To all the beliefs about your parents just gone. Like the, 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 to see the ugly reality of what happened is, it is like being on an island watching a boat sink. It's like suddenly you're, it's, it's almost like you're on this boat in the ocean and it's like the boat of horror, right? And you're on this boat and you're laughing and you're partying and you think this is all fun and games and everything. 
and suddenly that whole boat sinks and you're you manage to get ashore right oh you leave actually no you don't the thing doesn't sink let's just say the thing is still going and but something makes you want to leave the boat right there's a party boat and your family and the whole thing and and suddenly you you swim you don't know why you swim to shore and you look out and you realize oh my god it was never a party boat it was a fucking house of horrors boat and the way that I feel like I've been extricated from this toxic which I never knew I was in the toxic dump site I never knew I was underground being eaten alive by maggots and shit and whatever and creepy crawlies and I was so terrified the only way I could look back and see the whole elephant see the whole truth of that horror was by leaving and it's very difficult to leave I mean I had to I mean it took God knows how many ceremonies because it, ha it started really early on when I was a baby so um, to turn around and see that that thing that you had you know reinvented into a party ship was actually a ship full of the most gruesome horrific situations is is very difficult and it's like you're really you know the whole process for me has been like being pulled out of the earth like i've been i was buried and i believed and i built stories around them and i made them all good and and this whole unearthing and seeing who they truly were and what the situation is has been insane and and now I can, I'm on the shore like I've been well, first of all had I not have had this incredible love from this incredible plant and I don't even know how to thank and, and all of that but I was only risen up, I was only surfaced with the incredible love that I felt from the ayahuasca, the infinite love of the universe and what seems to be my only true family which was these Indians. Without their relentless support every day, without, I would never have jumped off that boat. I would never have, I would have stayed on it. I was terrified. I would never have had the courage to leave. I mean, they're your parents. They're your parents. You're, you're not gonna, you know, disassociate. And yet, even though all the time, I really did feel like an orphan, like I was alone, like they'd never seen me. I refused to accept that. I refused to accept that that's who they really were. So, and now as I, I felt like I was shipwrecked, right? I, I had to, I jumped off that boat. I came to shore 
I woke up in a way, right? It's a sort of waking up, and I can look back and look at this ship and realize, thank God, thank God I'm left. And I'm, I'm sure there's more still. I don't know what's next. I, this isn't, this isn't. I'm not putting it a kind of a, a seal on this. This is constantly opening up, right? This is going to go somewhere else because all she's done is take me somewhere else, right? That when you open into this other place, it's, you're constantly being connected to something bigger and bigger and bigger. And I can finally look from the shore out to that boat and say, these were terrible people. And I could never see that. And, and not again with anger or hatred or any of the stuff I had before because I couldn't express it, but with, with kind of truth and compassion and non-attachment. I'm sure there's something around there, but for the most part, it's not attached. That's the gift, is the ability to say, they weren't nice people, they were horrible people. And in the child's mind, that's really difficult to say. It's so difficult to accept the truth of them. I mean, they're still human, right? Um, but there's a clarity because you now have ownership and it's like you've been extricated out of this deep toxic waste dump and cleansed and power washed and it, you know it's a whole process right of constant vigilant commitment to seeing but what it does is it, it extricates you this this all of this path, what it's doing is it's extricating you from all the things that attached you to them, all the bugs and maggots and all the stuff that was living inside that unexpressed version of you. It's power washing because you've seen it all, you've felt it, you've relived it, the pain, the sorrow, the sadness, the truth of them. It's terrible. It's so fucking sad to see. And also the grief of your little girl, your little boy. You know, they were so scared, they were so little, they were so powerless, they could do nothing. I remember in one ceremony, I didn't even know it was going to come up, where my brothers were beaten up, physically hit. And I was crying because I was so, I felt so bad for them, I couldn't do anything. And I confronted my father and he just beat the shit out of me. But all that grief, that little child, that your little children, you know, your feeling for your siblings, your feeling for yourself, the impotence of it all, the having to accept it. You know, when you go in there and you see what your little child has had to go through, it's, it's huge. It's, you have to wade through that stuff. So this separation, this ability to disconnect, to really unthread yourself from them, is a huge journey. Is it over? I have no idea, I don't know. But I can finally say, I can finally see the whole structure, and I can say, you were terrible parents. Like really, ter without 
all the loaded hatred and anger and murderous rage which you have when you're still connected to them. There's the kind of sad, honest truth of, you suck. You were never parents, right? You were deeply narcissistic, abusive, self-interested, uncaring people. And there's an acceptance of that, right? It doesn't mean that you live now and I'm never going to talk to them again. Oh, no. no, you just see them. It's like you've gotten yourself back. You've, in this cleansing, you've, you've managed to sort of tear out the roots and the connections you have to them as a child. And you're able to stand as a separate soul to them. And I don't mean in a separation of the world. We're all one, yes, all that stuff. I'm just saying that all the hurt and the grief and the sadness has been expressed. And, in, this ex and, the, and that, in that expression of that grief in real time, as your child delivers to you all the truth of the pain, you grow, you're reintegrated. Your child is reintegrated and it is a sort of like all that grief and pain is, is taken back into the earth. I remember somebody said, a facilitator was saying, you know, drop it into the earth. Let the earth take all of your sadness and grief. Let it become mulch, right? It's fertile soil for your new self. So in the end, what you're doing is you're really disentangling yourself from their wiring. You're really... I realize this whole journey has been about, um, I think one can describe it as just being disentangled from them, um, disconnected, um, cleansed, because if you're in trauma, you are breathing their dysfunction. You, you've been a container for their their own unfinished trauma, and you're carrying it, you're threaded into it, you're, you're carrying their disease in a way, you're, you know, their virus. And to really um, live again, to, to find life again is to cleanse yourself of them and they are energy like you are and you know if a, a dump truck, truck of shit showed up when you arrived and they dumped all their shit on you well then you're a container for it and you're living in conflict with yourself you've been refused your own script you know and you're, you know, you're, you're carrying their backpack of their shit. And they say, you know, I love, I mean, there are all these phrases I heard, you know, going through all of this huge kind of transformation. And they, they, they'd say things I never really understood, like, oh, you know, put down the backpack. And I was like, oh, what the fuck does that mean? I don't know. It doesn't mean anything to me. How do you just put this thing down? 
I think one of the things I've learned is that there are very flippant phrases, but they are deeply difficult and contrived. And, and these are not just easy, oh, I've just put down the backpack and I'm happy and I, I read a self-help book and I'm done. Or someone tells me a story. No, these are very, this journey is, a, it's, it's, it's you have to dig yourself out. You know, and sometimes what happens, and I see it when it just, you know, I can, and my own thing is that I, I want to believe another story. I don't want to do the work. You know, I want to have somebody else's story fill in the blanks for me. When really, <clears throat> it's because I can't face the next task I need to do. Or it's just, you know, very difficult. Because ultimately, you're leaving them. This is what why it's so difficult. And you're leaving, leaving them in a real way. It's a sort of growing up in a way. And it's a cleansing, it's a purification. I don't know how else to say this. But you know, when you're deeply buried and you're deeply connected and attached to all of them, and again, I, I just I can't emphasize how deeply connected we are to our parents and to the people that reared us. And um, this kind of finding yourself in amidst all of that noise is, is not easy. And certainly without the help of meditation or ayahuasca, I wouldn't be, I would, I would still be floundering. I'd, I'd still be on that party boat in the middle of the ocean, not realizing I'm living on a boat of horror. Um, <coughs> I think, I don't know what happens next. I, you know, it is, as, as I said, we're organic pieces of energy. We're part of this really unknown mystery. I, I have no idea how this thing works. Um, you know, I sit in these mini ceremonies and I'm, I move about. I just, by myself, that something is acting, a force is acting upon me. I don't know. What is it? I have no idea. Um, you, for me, it's been like just surrender to what I don't know. I don't know. I have no answer. Just don't know. Um, when you keep surrendering. Oh, God, who is it? Who is it? So, in the end, it's really like, you know, you're going to the other side. In other words, the trauma kept you in prison and all of its attachments and its tentacles and the refusal of it and you know living with this huge continent of damaged your damaged organic self you know which is being swarmed by all these bacteria energetic bacteria maggots etc and then you have to sort of um, you have to cleanse yourself of all of it by accepting the feelings, by truly acknowledging who they are. I think that's, you know, your child doesn't want to believe that they're monsters, right? The monsters are other things. Your parents protect you from monsters. They aren't the monsters. And when you acknowledge that, that's, you know, when you see all of it, you have to acknowledge it, and it's really painful. But that's also part of the immersion out of all of this, a surfacing. And I, 
I'm so grateful to the ayahuasca. Without the ayahuasca and the meditation, I wouldn't, I had no idea, and the divorce, which is a massive, huge atomic bomb, you know. It was all terrifying and scary, and there were just monsters everywhere. And I had to learn, I had to love in the midst of all of it, right? That was one of the things that, you know, the only thing that kept me going through my divorce was love, the love, the memory of love. The thing that helped me survive was the love for my son. The, the knowing that no matter what happened, no one would take that away from me and that I could, that, that was a powerful source of connection. In the world that I grew up, there was none of it. There was no love. There was just, there was nothing. It was this bleak, dark landscape which I kept projecting all sorts of fantasies onto. And I was told over and over again, you know, that love meant nothing. You know, it was just ridiculous. It was weak. It was wrong. It was... So, to leave everything you've ever believed and to challenge everything you've ever believed is extraordinarily difficult. And, you know, only finding kind of meditation and ayahuasca and really... I think the thing about trauma is that you don't trust anyone, you don't believe anyone, you don't really, you're always conditional, right? It's always really a game, it's always... And when I surrendered to ayahuasca, it was like, it was a huge act of terror for me because I trusted no one. I, I believed in really no one. And in giving myself over to this thing which I couldn't see and I didn't understand and that was this weird thing that happened in a ceremony we drunk, you know, the earth. I mean, it was just like... But the moment <clears throat> I started crying as a child in that ceremony, I gave her everything because I knew she was my mother. I knew that this was the home that I was looking for, that she had located me in all this darkness. She finally saw me. She actually saw me. She actually, and the love I felt was beyond compare. I just, it was a love I'd never known what that felt like. I'd never known that. And in that moment, I was all in. I was, she was everything to me. She was my mother. Because she was love. She was, you know, no discussion, no question, unconquerable love. She was everything. And when I gave in, then my whole energetic field from that day, I mean, I think it's just been slowly cracking open, right? Little by little, like, shh, shh, shh. It's like 
the icebergs in Patagonia, right? When you see them, they're like little, but they move little bit by little bit, and they just collapse. And that was the same with me. It was like little by little by little, as one collapse, then another collapse, and just more avalanches. And every time there was an energetic shift, information was given, physical changes happened. I mean, it was just incredible. I didn't know how it was. I didn't. I was now working. So in the surrender to her, I just let her work through me. I was never, I sat every day, even though I didn't want to sometimes. It was very difficult. You know, it, was like, it was really painful sometimes, right? Because it's in my body. It was that shift from the trauma to love. And in order for the trauma to be healed, it, all of it had to be seen. For the purification to happen, you have to sit in the shit. You have to sit in the truth and its ugliness and its vileness and the sexual abuse by old men. It was just horrific. It was a shit show, the likes of which I wouldn't wish upon anyone. But I had one thing. I had this deep love and reverence and respect for the ayahuasca. And there were parts of me that I didn't know were incomplete, which I was owned. I was owned by darkness. So to sit was to get, literally was an act of defiance. To sit in ceremony, in a mini ceremony every day was an act of defiance because it went against everything I had built, everything I had built to live. I literally wished and willed my own extinction. That's pretty huge. I was going against everything I had built. I was asking to be blown up against my will. I didn't want to see that chip as the ugliest, dirtiest, filthiest floating vessel on the ocean. I wanted to keep the fantasy of who they were. I wanted to have those parents. I wanted to have parents, period, desperately. So much so that I had to convince my little child, my little girl, she would not tell me what had happened. So, it's like you, you move to the other side. You know, once you kind of let go, you just, you don't want to let go. I never wanted to let go of them. It was so, even until recently, it was like, I'm still holding on to, I want to believe that she is this, she's not, my parent's not that person. You know, I can see her, my father is now past, but I can see my own mother as this infantilized child, selfish, narcissistic. Never really a mother. Never grew up to be a mother, right? There's no one there, there never has been. I mean, it's so funny because you look at the debris all around her and you, you see your own relationship to your siblings and there's really none, right? Because no one was seen and everybody's living in their own tiny corner of the universe, right? 
And it's the first time I've actually felt compassion for all of us, you know. Before there was sort of more anger and I was still wrapped up with them. But now I can finally say, you know, these were terrible, terrible parents. And there's more, it's not so much anger as there is just loss, really. Loss of your own story about them. You know, realization that there was no one, that they were not your family, right, really. That there was, there's never going to be a relationship, right? There will never be a relationship. There can't be because, you know, she's incapable of thinking outside her terrified self, right? And there's an acceptance that that's okay. You don't, you're no longer the child who's in trauma. So you no longer really require them to be the parent that they never can be. Because now, you know, there's this incredible gift of love and support in this other dimension. There's this connection to source, which is oh so much bigger than your parents. That's, there's always, you know, that oasis of love that you can go to. You're not going to find it in someone else. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying you don't find love in other people. I'm not saying, I'm just saying that in that place of true connection that isn't limited by our, you know, dysfunction of limited beliefs or our limited versions of each other, etc. There's this place of infinite love. There's a place of infinite source. I actually found a place where I actually belonged. And it was so funny because in my, one of my first trips to Peru in the ayahuasca ceremony, after this kind of huge exorcism, I was shown that I was an Indian and that I belonged there in the jungle, which I'm not reading anything into other than that. But the funny thing was, when it happened, it was like, wait, wait, no, 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 I belong on the Upper East Side. <laughs> yeah. I say that because it's that, that ego holding on to its identity. And what does that mean, you belong? That means that you belong to the universe. It means that you belong to everything, that you're not limited by your ego. This isn't that you are actually that you belong to something, we all, and I say you, we all belong to something bigger. That if we break out of these little armored tortoise shells, that we belong to something so much bigger and that we can keep blossoming into that place and becoming part of that bigger thing and, and this bigger river of flow. And if we can break down these walls of beliefs and ideas, and believe you me, I still have them. I'm no fucking genius at that. I mean, but the fact that I've had the, ex for me, the experience of having a taste of that something bigger means that I will continue to break down. I will, and I say break down, break apart. It really is demanding that you blow up. You know, that, you know, you, it's like that very simple saying, you know, if you, when you're young, you, you have the river, you, you have the boat to cross the river. 
you build the ego. Once you cross the river, you don't need the boat, right? You leave it behind. And I think it seems that nature's always doing that. It's like it's growing, blossoming, and then something else is going to take over, right? The caterpillar to the butterfly, the larvae to the butterfly. It needs to disengage from its origin, from its original built. I think if you're loved, truly, you're in a constant state of blossoming, right? If you feel that love, and it's so funny because when I go to the Canary Islands, I feel it because I don't think it's, it's not immersed in materialism, you know? There's, there's that, there is, I mean, it's not exists, but it's just, I feel that kind of bigger connection because there's more of the sweetness, there's less of the cynicism, there's less of the protection in its culture. And again, that might just be my own projection, but they've been isolated from this massive onslaught of you know, being told that they're going to, you know, fear, 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 right? So, it is, a, it's a sort of a breaking apart of who you are. It's a letting go, but through the work, through seeing all of your terror, I mean, every day, in every moment, you're going to have to face it, you know? It's like, the universe says, look at everything that's happening around you. How are you responding? What's really going on? Where are you silenced? Where are you in conflict? Where are you awake? Where are you accepting? Where are you not accepting? It's always like, this journey has been about like being vigilant of every moment and my response to it and taking responsibility for that moment. Why am I trembling at this thing? Why is that, how, where, where does it come from? Where, where am I, all my responses coming from? I was built somewhere, right? I'm, I was still protecting them. I was still protecting my family. I was still legitimizing them. I was still refusing the horror of what happened and of who they were. And it's not about making right or wrong, or you win or I lose. There's no winning here. There's no triumphant cup or reward. The gift is freedom. The gift is deepening. The gift is blossoming. The gift is shedding. The gift is shedding. It's not about living in hatred forever or anger forever or whatever. It's like you're going to go through tons of anger. Yeah, you're going to go through tons of rage. Believe you me. If you've kept stuff, if you're sitting on bombs which are about to blow, they're going to blow when you see what happened, when you understand deep in your bones, deep in your gut, the horror of it. But once it's exploded, it can't, ex there's nothing to explode. You're open. You've expressed it. It's torn through you like a wildfire. The avalanche has happened. You're smothered. You get it. There's no, and it may take a while. For me, it took quite a long time to really 
And who knows how much more is left? It's like a cancer. It's got to come out. Right? But at some point, the garbage has been taken out of the house. You know, The latrine is almost cleansed. And that cleansing means there's no more hiding. There's no more connection between a terrified child and a tyrannical predator or adult. And if you're on the journey, that means that you've been blessed because you haven't been completely drowned, you know? You're not living under a bridge with a heroin needle in your arm, right? If you've been able to avoid that disappearing in that kind of self-destructive way, it's a blessing. And even if you are in that state, if you're, you're, even if you're a scratch awake, there's still hope. You're not in that pure blackness. So it's going to keep deepening. There's going to be even more cleansing. I don't know what happens next. I have no idea. But I can finally, even though I'm shipwrecked on this shore, I can look out at that boat in the ocean and see it for what it is. And a huge part of me now is separate to it. Who knows if there's other connections, but I can finally see its full dimension. I can finally say, as a separate being, you are horrible parents, awful parents. I don't have to legitimize you anymore. I don't have to invent you anymore. I don't have to sort of smother you in my Michelin, my five-star Michelin source to pretend that you don't exist. I can see you, and now I can leave. I don't need you anymore. I've taken back my child. I will continue to cleanse. I will continue to grow. But I'm not blinkered. I'm not pretending you into existence. I'm not refusing my emotions. I can deal with my anger. I can deal with my sadness. I can deal with grief. I can allow them to come up. It won't kill me. And that's what we do when we're in trauma. We can't let the valve of the truth open up because we think it's going to kill us. We won't have parents. We're going to die. And that is the gift of ayahuasca, is that in the it's like the energizer bunny. It just keeps going. The more you commit, the more she'll give you back. The more you honor something bigger than our tiny ego and our little scripts, the more she'll expand you. The more you'll disappear. And the more you'll be present to everything. You can't grow if you're linked by poison. You can't grow if you're in refusal of the truth. You can't grow if you're hiding in a story. You know, I, 
I can only know my experience, and I never have known my experience. That's all I can know. I, I read thousands of books growing up, thousands and thousands. I hid in them. I was reading lines. I was reading experience. I had no connection to. I just, it was like armor, too. If I, if I read these books, you know, I'll somehow survive. I'll somehow find meaning, but I was buried. It doesn't matter how much you read. It doesn't matter. Even in the spiritual world, you know, I listen to tons of these YouTube things and blah. Yes, and some of it, it hit the armor, right? It, like, scratched it. Like, had a little, like, like from far away, you hear a little sound. Like, oh, okay, that resonates. I don't quite know why. But in the end... We can rediscover, we can return home. We just got to keep taking the layers. And one of the things that, you know, everybody's busy out there, and even me, like, do not believe anything I say, it's just my experience. Live your own experience, but know your own truth. Don't, one of the things I understand is like, it's your life, it's your story, it's not anyone else's story. I can gaze out at their story, I can look into their world, but it's not my world. I kept thinking, oh, if I have that life over there, or if I can be that person over there, somehow I'll get to live. I'll matter. It's always zero then, it's not your life. It's not your experience. The thing is to honor and to accept your own experience. I suppose I was always looking because my experience was so foul and awful. And that if somehow I could jump ship onto that ship, but that's somebody else's ship. I would still be alone. I would still be an orphan on somebody else's ship. It wasn't my ship. I had to accept my ship. And I hadn't accepted it. I had smothered it in fantasy to survive. The ayahuasca let me see the ship for what it was to experience the truth of what these people were and gave me the courage and the love and the support to get the fuck off that boat. Not to someone else's boat. Not to let me reinvent myself as this person. That's why I've never understood actors. I would never want to be one because I don't want to read somebody else's fucking lines, which is all I've ever wanted to do, is live somebody else's life because I refuse to accept my own. Accept your own life, even in all the horror of it. Accept it. It's the universe. It's, it's pouring out of the universe, as shit it is as, as it is, right? You have the power to transform, to cleanse, to grow, to love. I never knew that. I always thought, if I just jump ship, if I just keep tidying up this ship, 
they never loved each other. There was no love in this relationship with his family, with his people, his parents. There's nothing. You accept whatever your situation is, whatever your circumstances is, and understand that for some reason, it's your existence. Why? No idea. I love that, Cohen. What was your original face before your mother and father was born? Who the fuck am I? I finally have come to accept all of it. I can finally accept the truth of who they are, of what happened, the horror of it. I've been allowed to express only because I've had this incredible relationship with this incredible medicine and the support and love. If, if I had not been given this container of love and safety, there's no way I would have done this. No way. No way. I would never have given up the story about them. Ever, 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 ever. Ever. I was so desperate, I just gave it all back to the ayahuasca. I said, just take me, guide me. And there were parts of me that did not want this. I mean, I was not, there was part of me that was, you know, laughed at the ayahuasca. I mean, I saw it in one of the ceremonies. I was just like, she told me off, like, don't you ever fucking disrespect me. There was part of me that, oh, I know it all, you know, I'm just like, it was my ego, right? She basically said, take me all or take nothing or suffer. She is a disciplined mother. But in the game of love, you're either all in. It's like pregnancy. You can't be half in. You have to give all of yourself if you want it all to be cleansed. So yeah, accept, honor, express, unearth, blow up. Nothing can kill you. It's all one thing. It's not easy. It's terrifying. It's difficult. But this thing is enduring. You are so unbelievably powerful. We all are so unbelievably powerful. If we're connected to source. And walking home, the journey home, for me, has been the journey back to source. It's an inward journey. It is a solitary journey. When I say solitary, it's your journey. Tons of guides, and if you surrender, will show up to guide you through. It's a miracle. And it doesn't stop. Who knows the next walls, the next opening, the next explosion where it's going to happen. I have no idea. But once you're in the rabbit hole, there's no leaving. You're all in. All right. Good luck. Bye.